Abraham B. Yehoshua, and he was born in Jerusalem in 1936. He's graduate of the Departments of Philosophy and Hebrew Literature at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, married to Rivka, a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst, father of a daughter and two sons, and grandfather of six granddaughters. It's interesting you put your family before yes. your achievement. <laughs> of, of course. This is the true achievement. The others, you know, <laughs> will rest, will not rest, will be forgotten, but human beings are human beings. You were awarded the Brenner Prize in 1983, uh, the Israeli uh, Booker Prize in 1992, the Israel Prize, and, and many more. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Yes, prices, prices is not so important. I'd like to start off with a quote and to get your comments and feedback on it. It's from Simone de Beauvoir in The Ethics of Ambiguity. She wrote, Man is a thinking reed. He is, and this is a bit of a lengthy quote, he is a part of this world of which he is a consciousness. He asserts himself as a pure internality against which no external power can take hold, and he also experiences himself as a thing crushed by the dark weight of other things. At every moment he can grasp the non-temporal truth of his existence, but between the past which no longer is and the future which is not yet, this moment when he exists is nothing. This privilege which alone he possesses of being a sovereign and unique subject amidst a universe of objects is what he shares with his fellow man. In turn, an object for others, he is nothing more than an individual in the collectivity on which he depends. As long as there have been men and they have lived, they have all felt this tragic ambiguity of their condition. Yeah. So what? <laughs> I don't know. I, my feeling is that the human existence is a miracle, meaning that here the universe was standing in a certain position to the sun and permit us uh, not to be just uh, dead universes as the majority of the stars that we know. And the fact that there was here uh, some waters and there was the conditions to develop us. So life is, is a miracle and perhaps uh, they will be finished in about, I don't know how, how many times. And uh, we have to take this uh, opportunity to enjoy our life, to be responsible and to be aware to what is happening around us not to give ourselves to fate. We have to preserve life in the most precious way because it is a gift that was given to us and it can be finished in a very quick and sudden way. And that's the responsibility of the writer? The writer with other members of the human community has to contribute to make the people more aware of their situation and to take control as, as possible about the future, the physicians, the philosophers, the teachers, everyone has his task mm. and the writer can perhaps contribute by his imagination to create imaginary situation in which the people can recognize better some of the hidden and the unconscious of their uh, existence and try to to understand it better so but it is not a specific task of the writer but he is among 
so many other people, everyone has to contribute more to the awareness and to the understanding of the world. One of the things that you talk about is the way that the Jews and Arabs uh, lived together prior to 1948. This is one of the themes that you have written about over the years. Your imagination and your memory of that condition is one thing, and it reminds readers of those times, and yet people don't seem to listen to that when they vote, and we've now got another right-wing no, no, I think you are uh, mistaken about what was happening in the past. The Jews were dispersed all over the world. They had been dispersed by their own will. Nobody obliged the Jews to leave their country two voluntary. years ago. Yeah. They have leave the country by their own will because the Jewish identity permit them to be in Montreal or in the South America or in South Africa preserving their identity through their metaphors and through their imagination. While the other people, when you are taking someone from Canada, after 200 years he will not be any more Canadian because he will be detached from his land, from his language, etc. So the Jews had been spread all over the world already for 2,500 years. And they were living as minorities here and there among Christians, among Muslims, etc. In many places they were hated, also in the Arab world, also among Arabs and also among Christians. Always, even when there was a quiet period, it was temporary quiet period. The Jews were hated, were different, were regarded as strangers and they regard themselves as strangers because they were saying all the time, next year we'll go to Jerusalem when next day we will return. But they're not, they're not true Jews either, I think that's what you say. It's very controversial. No, no, they are, they are Jews. They are Jews, meaning Jews by their conscience, by the feeling of belonging to the Jewish people. Most of them. Of course there were many of them that had been assimilated, that had been totally left the Jewish people and disappeared among the people. And they want to do that? Want to yes, that they wanted to do it and the, the non-Jews were always waiting for the Jews to change their identity and to convert themselves to Christianism and to Islam. The Jews were about four to six million in the end of the Second Temple, meaning about 17 AD. And then they were, when they come to the 18th century, after 1800 years, the number was one million. So they decrease because they are all the time assimilation Jews that left the other people. Those who remain, remain with a conscience. They wanted to belong to the Jewish people and to rest Jews. Mm. Now, people were in all the places were hating them and, and regarding them and projecting on them many fantasies about the, the Jews are dominating the world with the Soviets in the time and now afterward with the Nazis and now with the Arabs and since that we are all the time dominating the world we are the source of evil we have been persecuted, there was a lot of pogrom and then of course the Holocaust that was something never a people had suffered like this because for six years third of our people, third of our people had been exterminated and killed 
not for territory, not for ideology, not for religion, not for uh, economical reason. They destroy the people as you destroy microbes. This was what the Nazis and the other people that were around them helped them to do. So this was the situation, and the Jews were saying, enough, we cannot continue with the sum of the Jews, and we have to come and to normalize ourselves and to be people like the other people, meaning having a territory, having a language, having a, a framework, and having a responsibility to all the components of our life. This is Zionism. This is what, what we wanted to do, and this is what we achieved to do, and the Assembly of Nations was saying this is right, this is correct, especially after the Holocaust, that the Jews also will have a place of their own and try to build their own life, national life, as all the other people are doing. We have done it in the Middle East, in Palestine. Part of Palestine was given to us by the nation. The Palestinians said, we don't have to suffer because of your diaspora, uh, because of your Holocaust. We don't agree to this, that you will take part of our land and to establish your state. They have fought against us. They could not exterminate us, uh, the state of Israel. And they have to recognize us. So the, the Arab countries have started to recognize and to make peace with Israel, especially after the Six-Day War, Egypt, Jordan. We have peace relationship with them, with the Palestinians we are negotiating today in order to give them back the West Bank and in order that they will have also the state of their own. Uh, we have done political mistakes during this time, here and there, etc., putting settlements and things like that. But I think finally the solution is very clear. In Palestine there will be two states, one Jewish, one Palestinian, and this is what we are going to do. Let's get to talk about marriage then. Oh, speaking of territories and boundaries. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, this is what your latest novel called Friendly Fire to some extent deals with. And incidentally, Friendly Fire is, is an oxymoron. And I just wonder if that whole paradoxical way of looking at relationships is something that you're trying to get at in this novel. The oxymoron of course of friendly fire is played throughout the novel in different ways because first of all it is related to the fact that the, the son of the brother-in-law and sister-in-law of this family was killed in friendly fire mm. and this uh, leave uh, the parents, the, especially the father, uh, in unrest. When a soldier is killed in friendly fire and he has done the mistake to be shot by his comrade, you cannot blame the army or his comrade, but he has done a mistake by doing what uh, he was doing. I don't want now to enter the world. And, and but it was a good thing he was doing. He, he was going to do good things. Yes, yeah. he was going to do good things, something, a gesture, not a big thing, but a gesture to the Palestinians. But he was getting down from the roof early, and his comrades were thinking that he is the terrorist, and they shot him. So they were right, and he had done a mistake. He did not have to do it. But the father wants comfort. It means he cannot, he cannot uh, find a peace to himself until he will get at least some kind of a recognition from the Palestinians, from this family on which roof 
the, the, the soldier, his son, was in order to get from them some gesture of recognition or of saying, okay, this soldier was stupid, we don't like him, it is an enemy, etc. But still he was doing something for us and we understand it. So this is the friendly fire that is in the center of But of course there is a oxymoron friendly fire. And this is the way in which the American and you are using the word when you are speaking about shooting the soldiers by their own troops. In other languages it is not friendly fire. There is other expression. Anyhow, a friendly fire in the novel is also expressed through the candles of Hanukkah through the fire in which the, um, Jeremy is throwing the, the newspaper and the candles of Hanukkah in order to say, I don't want anymore to have something with this identity. The way in which the fire, as a metaphor, is running all over the, the, the book, is trying to take from the friendly fire a kind of an image that put the fire in many contexts because it is so important in the end even there is a whole speech about the fire as the source of life because without fire we have not been human beings mm-hmm. and the fire is also teaches us death because fire can kill us and, and, and make and, us and, and, yes and so you can you can revive something and you can uh, kill it so the, the the image of fire is very complex and this is in the way the, the friendly fire was through the novels now the marriage is not a Perhaps it's friendly fire, meaning uh, from time to time it's really friendly and the fire of sex and the fire of relationship, Mm. but it's also dangerous. And the way in which I explore marriages, not only in this book, it was also in The Liberated Bride, it was also in The Five Seasons and in other books of mine, because for me marriages is the most interesting, the most challenging the most complicated human relationship. And, and now, more often than ever, it's a relationship that is broken. Divorce, is particularly in the Western world, yes, is very all-time high. Yes, and when people are divorced, they are not becoming happier. I disagree with that. It depends. No, because you see many people that had divorced, and then they are remarried, with the same type of, of marriages. So there are people who are divorced several times. So I don't know, of course, you cannot, you cannot speak in general terms about it. But you see, a, a divorce, I think divorce is not good for the children. The children are not happy with the divorce when they have to deal with, uh, with broken families, with all the quarrels that were before. So after children, if they are happy with the divorce, of course, when the when their parents are quarreling all the time and there is so much dispute and scandals between them, they say, okay, divorce yourself and give us some peace. But of course, this relationship of in marriages, you see, for example, how much killing there is in marriage. How much killing? Yes, it's usually domestic violence is, is perpetrated by people that you know. Yes, and you hear on there, I think that half of the killing that is done in a country is between husband and wife. Generally, husband is killing his wife. If you just measure the killing, 
how, how many killings there are, murders, how many yes. murders there are, and half of the murders in a society, in a usual society, I'm not thinking about Israel especially, no. but in every society, yes. you see how many murders are done inside the family. Yes, and it's, it's jealousy and it's control. Yeah, jealousy, control, and, and, and whatever question of... James Joyce's Ulysses is based on his fear of being cuckolded. I wonder if that is something that you deal with. It's a betrayal, it's a, yes. it's a humiliation. It's yes, a betrayal and humiliation. I don't, I, I don't feel it personally, but by the question of marriage, I just want to, to show how complexity is the marriage. Mm. That when you are betraying, for example, Instead of saying, okay, I will go and find another woman, the jealousy can bring a man to kill his wife. Mm. And this is what is happening. It's, it's, like, it's like Othello. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, killing the person you love. And the fact that she is, uh, uh, have to be loyal to him. And if she did not, so he would not say, okay, marriage is not important, I will go elsewhere and find another woman. No, he is going Stays, to kill yeah. and, and risking all his life in what he is doing. So I say the emotion, the desires in marriages, the daily life has to be so much you have to work on your marriage, so much you have to, to be aware of the relationship, so much you have to, to do it in equality. But, but after a certain amount of time of working on it, isn't it much better just to relieve all of the tension and try and separate amicably. Perhaps, perhaps if you don't love, if love is not existing anymore, it's you can broke relationship of 30 years in one shot and say, okay, everyone... So to separate the state and live together harmoniously. <laughs> it is also and both take care of the children. Yes, but this of course complicated when there is a bad feeling and what a, and now the man is bringing another woman to his place and the woman... Yeah, but isn't the, ch isn't the challenge then to try to have an amicable separation? I don't know, you know, every marriage, and there are so many, my wife is dealing with marriages, and there are all type of, of marriages, and the type of relationship, but what I wanted to do in my novels is to explore a little bit, not all the problems of marriage, but to explore a little bit this relationship that the, the basis is a love, but still, when there is love, still you cannot take it for granted. You cannot take the value of marriage for granted. You have all the time. You can take for granted your relationship with your son, with your father, because this is biological. But because this is a chosen relationship, it's not an obligatory relationship. Your son will be your son even when he will not talk to you. And, yeah, and he'll, theoretically, he'll respect you and love you. Uh, theoretically, but he can be also very angry with you, but still he cannot say this is not my father, and you cannot say this is not my son. While in marriage, it is a chosen thing. So every time you can finish it in one one incident, you can betrayal or yeah, betrayal. But what happens if the wife says, "I'm no longer interested in sex"? 
how it possible she can, when she says something like that it is it is very very problematic to the man she cannot say to him go and, and find your sex outside if she says like this it's also something painful to her to know that her husband I don't know there are so many types of people so many types of things there are uh, women who will bring uh, a lover to their husband my first novel is called the lover and in the lover because of the relationship because the, uh, the spouse is so depressed in a certain way and without life the man is bringing a lover to her in order to revive her. Bringing a lover into the marriage? Into the marriage. It's meaning you bring a young man and this young man is trying to give life again, to give some vitality to the woman who lost her vitality because she lost her son. All these are complexity and these are, in my mind, one of the most interesting subjects for a writer. When you think of it, it's, it's so important to everyone's life. I mean, yeah. You've been married for 50 years. Almost. Almost 50 years. I, I just wonder if we could get to uh, a couple of things. One, I've just been in, a, in South Africa talking to Andre Brink, who was in Paris in the mid-60s, yeah. as you were, and he... He has many, many women. He has. Exactly. He's married now to a beautiful yeah. 25-year-old woman. And he's about... How, how he's your age. Yeah, 70, 72. Yeah, 73, 74. Yeah. I know because we have the same agent uh, in Zurich. This agent, my, my agent, his agent, tell me how he changed all the time yes. women, young women, etc. So... It's, it's, it's a different, uh, completely different life story. Yes. But uh, what I want to get to is, when he was in Paris, he met young black students who were intelligent and well-read and trained to be lawyers and doctors. It was nothing like how he had seen black people in South Africa as an Afrikaner. And that completely changed his view of his home country. And as a result, he came back and wrote a novel which was subsequently banned by the Afrikaners. Uh, and it had to do with sex between the races. Yeah. And I just wonder, your time away in Paris, first of all, did it give you a, a different perspective on what was going on at home in, uh, in Israel? And was there something as contentious as that that came to your mind that you could write about that would shake things up in Israel? I think that what I learned in Paris was that for four years generally about the Jewish life in the diaspora. I did not been encountered with the Jewish life in the diaspora until I was in Paris and I was even working in a Jewish organization. I was the general secretary of the World Union of Jewish Students. So I was dealing with young students, etc. So I understood the way in which the, the Jewish identity in the diaspora is functioning. And this was giving me not only the difference between the life, the Jewish life in Israel vis-à-vis -vis the Jewish life in the diaspora, the aspects of it, what is the emphasis in the Jewish life in the diaspora, etc. And I became, if you, if you can 
summarizing more Zionist, meaning more believing in the way that the right way for the Jews is to be on the land and to be responsible to all the components of their life but and not, not, not to live in the diaspora and having an imaginary Judaism. Yes, and in fact, this is what you're most reviled for, and this is the most controversial theme of what you've written about. Yes, especially as in essays, when I say to the Jews in the diaspora, what you are living is a partial Judaism. You're calling so, it masturbation. I, I call it in one, and I call it in a very perhaps provocative way. In masturbation, what means masturbation? You have, it doesn't produce anything. It, it means you have good things. You can do masturbation, but it is different than when you have to confront a, a real woman with all her problems. <laughs> she is not so beautiful. She has her, her defects and still you have to live with her and to do your sex with her and to be responsible yeah. to her reaction. When you have just photos, pornographic photos... There's no involvement. You, yeah, there's yeah. no involvement with your imagination. You can do yeah. whatever you want. In, in a sense, that's as provocative a thing to say as Brink said yes. about interracial sex. Yes, yes, I hope that there are in South Africa. I, people are speaking that in South Africa, after the, of course, the festivity of the, the one vote to everyone and the, yes, the Mandela, Mandela yes. revolution, that was something very wonderful yeah. and very... Full thing. of promise. Ford promised, and he was doing it with grace, with charity, with a Christian uh, belief, etc. Now people are saying, I don't know, perhaps they are wrong. This is just corruption, the same as everywhere. Yes. That's yes. the sad, very sad yes. thing about it. I don't know. I'm sorry for South Africa because we believe that they can get out from the apartheid and, and really create a one state. It's, it's a tragedy in a, in a sense, but it, it's not over yet. It's only yeah, a new no, country. No, no, no. They will overcome it. Yes. They will overcome. But we have our own problems. And the problem is that we have to be aware not to do an apartheid state. Yes. Because the way in which the Jews, the Israelis, put settlements in the Palestinian state, could create here a apartheid state. And this is the thing that we are warning all the time, our government and our thing, don't do it because you have to keep the ter Palestinian territory without Jews, without these settlements in order really to be possible to create this two-state solution that in my mind is the only honest and moral solution for the two sides. Just in closing... Is that the most important message that you are trying to get across with your, uh, with your work? I say uh, the work, of course, is dealing with people, uh, dealing with a lot of teams, with, with relationships. Dealing with the individual, and, but then sort of growing from that into yes. talking about society. Yes, in society, but society had all the other things uh, to deal with, not only the political, but on the political question from 67 on the peace camp. This is what we repeat to say all the time. Okay, the Arabs are attacking us, the, uh, the Palestinians did not want to recognize us, what, this was the same thing with the Egyptians, etc. We have to wait, but we will not
not take their terrorists. This is very vital. We, we can keep our security with the army until one day they will be able to say, okay, we are recognizing, and this time was coming already. PLO finally had declared officially that they recognized the, the legitimacy of the state of Israel. Now, but we don't have to take pieces of the territory. And what we have done in Jerusalem, it is unacceptable what we have done to take, to annex parts of Jerusalem. The Arab Jerusalem belong to the Palestinian, the Jewish Jerusalem. So all the things about creating a clear border between us and them, this is the most the central message of my work uh, as in the political side. Uh, that's the political message. Yes. What's the human message? What's the message about marriage that sort of filters filters up into the political? You see, in the novels you bring dilemmas. The dilemmas are solved like this or solved like that. Uh, there are dilemmas of relationship. And, uh, for example, the modern novel that I wrote about, uh, uh, it was called Mr. Money, about the history of Zionism, and I took it from the present to the past through five conversations about a family and the different options that were in some crossroads in the Zionist history. Or there is a, a novel about a person which his wife died and what is happening to him during the one year after her death, why he cannot relate to another woman what he has to do in order to liberate himself from his wife that was, he was swallowed into himself. He was, she was ill for seven years and then when she died, he said, okay, I am free. But he was not free. And the way in which psychologically what is happening to him during this year of after the death of his wife and how he has what he has to do in order to liberate himself from the from the spirit of his wife, from the presence of his wife inside himself. So there are many subjects in many ways, and the questions of border and liberated bride, the questions of responsibility in women in Jerusalem, the questions of a terrorist attack and the way in which you take responsibility to the unidentified dead. So, there are many subjects. Of course, you can relate some lines here and there to the political side. When you describe Arabs, I have described many times Arabs, especially Israeli Arabs in my novels, I, I was thinking that by making them characters in the novel alongside the Jewish characters, I create empathy to them. Mm -hmm. I create Make them human. Make them human, make them understood by my Jewish readers. And this is the way you have to do it. And, yeah. uh, and it's not, not as enemies. Not enemies, and you can see the, the human side of them, their thoughts, their tragedy, their problems, and all this, with even humor you can treat them. And so you make them close to, your, to yourself. I was doing my first novel, The Lover, was dealing with an Arab boy who was working in a garage. And the way in which I describe him make many Jews to look from time to time to these Arab uh, boys that are working in the garage and say, okay, I know him. 
he is not just a, a tool, an instrument, but also a human being, and he knows many things that I did not realize that he knows. So there's the human, and then there's the societal. Yes, and the human is it's important. This is our work as writers. We are working first of all in the, with individuals. You want to move the reader. You want to change the reader. I want to change. I want to, that he will identify, that he will cry, that he will laugh, that he, that he will feel as if he himself is the Arab, that he himself is the woman. And this is the target of uh, literature, to make the reader identify, entering into the soul of another people and take the soul into himself. This is the reason why we read the newspaper. There are a lot of terrible news, but nobody cries. But when you read a novel, you cry. Why you cry? You know, it's fiction, it's imaginary. Mm. But you cry about yourself because you have been, you have been transferred into this character. So what is happening to this character is happening to you. So you cry or you laugh or you react emotionally. There's a quote. Yes, it's from The Liberated Bride. Yeah. It's about on the verge of a long-craved intimacy with the Arabs, one much greater than the merely literary one proposed by his mentor in Jerusalem, an intimacy that would prolong the day into a stirring, eventful evening. I don't catch it. And was the freedom of knowing that his movements could not be tracked by his wife so seductive that he was prepared to abandon himself to it. Not that these Arabs were the same as the Algerians, whose crisis of identity had hobbled his computer for over a year, yet surely the translatoress of the Age of Ignorance was right about their belonging to one world, a world sometimes cruel and sometimes indulgently hospitable. Yes. After the visit in the Arab village, the way in which the Orientalist, who is dealing with Algeria, he doesn't have a real contact with the Arabs. As I, when I was professor at university, there were Arab students, Arab colleagues, but there was no intimacy. And here in the novel, there is a, the way in which his student, Samaher, and the way in which she is approaching him and trying to manipulate him for her work, for her exams, and things like that, and inviting him to the Arab wedding in the village. And the way in which he enters, by, mostly by this man, by this her cousin, who is in love of this student, Rashid, who is a very sympathetic person who reminds Rivlin his son, he, he reminds him his two sons also, mm. and the way in which he tried to identify with him, and the way in which this man is guiding him to the West Bank. So in this sense, the, the way, and finally he's sleeping in his bed in, in, in the Arab village, for me it was a way to get out from theory about the Arabs, but have a, a real relationship with them, and to touch them, mm. and to be, and this was important, not because he had a, extreme ideas against them, he was always uh, for the Arabs, but to create intimacy with them, yes. this was one of the way in which the liberated bride was done, and the intimacy with the Arabs was coming from my father, who was an Orientalist, who had many Arabs, friends, and in the way in which he 
was speaking to them in their language was always for me an example of this, first of all, above all the ideological discussion and the political discussion, first of all, these are human beings, these are your cousins. And you know that they see us as cousins because uh, both of us are coming from Abraham, or we are coming from Isaac, and they are coming from Ishmael. Yes. So we are cousins. And I... Till now I can see the Palestinian and even the Arabs at large as some sort of relatives in the family. Of course you have disputes relatives with the family. There are problems with relatives in the family, but still there are something in the family. The final question then, or observation, something that runs through South African literature is this wonderful, dangerous, forbidden sexual connection between the races. And in fact, there was a law against it. There was the immorality law. But it would just take one generation to eliminate all of that racism if the two races just married each other and had kids that were all the same. Yes, but you have to know, in South Africa, these are Christians. The question is the only race, the color of the, of, the, of the skin. They are not two people. They are South African. The, the white and the blacks are South African. They have the same territory. We are not racist. They have the same territory, but they've got the homelands. You know, they were actually, they were sort of separated. Yes, but finally, finally, and but finally the, the, the white are in Johannesburg and the blacks are in Johannesburg and Johannesburg is the city, both of them. You cannot say, this is my territory, this is your territory. With the Arabs, these are two different nations. These are two different people, two different religions. These are Christians and Muslims, and we are Jewish. And it's not a question of race. It's not a question the, of race. Skin. But it's a question of two, two people. It's like, like taking, for example, the French and the German. This is the same level. Or the, even the French and the Germans are both Christians. But let's take the French and the Tunisian. Or you and, and, uh, and Algeria, yes? This is two people and two, two religions. Mm. Now, there are marriages. There are uh, mixed marriages. And there are relationships. But when there still there is a war, it is very difficult. I would not care if my son will take an Arab girl, an Israeli Arab, meaning that a person that speaks his language, that has the same citizens like him, that belong to Israel, if he would marry her, I would not mind at all. But I can see the difficulties in those times until there will be peace with the Palestinians, because in marriages there are so many difficulties, and above all, also the political difficulties, this will be a, a little bit too much. But generally, I believe that in the future, the Israeli Arabs, who are in our territory, and, and, and speak our language, and only are different from us by the religion, no problem, to be having marriage, mixed marriage between them, because it's not like the Jews here in Canada that are afraid for assimilation. Because when a Jew is married a, a Christian, yes. so they say the Christian will take him, will will swallow him. Here, 
We are the majority, they are the minority. We are living in the same country, in the same territory. I believe that mixed marriages will be in the future. I would not mind at all. Well, okay. thank you so much for giving us your take on marriage and yeah. politics. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.